So this week, Jet Dunlap's going to try something just a little bit different. And it's not talking about himself in the third person because he's done that before. What I'm going to do is I'm going to try and stay on message a little bit tighter. Now, there was a reason I didn't at the beginning is because I didn't want that to become something where you feel like you're listening to a lecture, right? But I feel like I've matured enough in the last 50 episodes to stay on message and not have it sound like a lecture. Some of that has been helped by the fact that I've been doing a lot of screenwriting, and therefore I have been working on story structure. So hopefully, unlike most episodes where someone says, hey, Jet, I loved episode 51. Man, that got me. And then I ask, and this is a real example, what did you love about 51? And they say, I don't remember. So hopefully this stays a little bit clearer, so you take something away. Now, it's not always going to be something that you're going to be able to take away because it's episodic. It's not a movie, so I don't expect that. But this is going to be a little different. Today's episode is about something that happened to me when I was writing a screenplay. And when a tragedy happened with my computer, where a tragedy... (laughs) Da, da, da. When something bad happened to my computer that made it so that I lost all these pages, did I quit? Well, I think you know the answer to that already. But that's going to happen right now. In episode 53 of Psychotherapy, I am Jet Dunlap, and that episode starts right now. I haven't done an episode in about a week. And that was the bird episode, the one with the heavy birds in the background. And the actual episode itself, why don't I, you know, I don't want to just talk about the episodes all the time because that seems silly. Imagine if you watched a TV show and all they talked about was the last TV show. Well, I guess they do do that a little bit. <laughs> okay, so I haven't done it in a little while. And the reason for that was, well, there's a number of them. One of them has been that I have had my brain in another mode. Another thing is Gina had a great opportunity recently that turned into something that was a little more difficult for me to deal with um, on her behalf. But uh, that'll go into in probably the latter half of this episode. So first things, second, second things first, here we go. Last episode, the bird one, I had a lot of feedback and noise. And ever since episode 50, I've been thinking, you know what? It's time for me to invest in the right equipment. Now, is that because my audience says, hey, Jet, the decibels are just not what I am looking for in a program right now. And if there's one thing I would change about your show, it would be the audio quality. No, they're not saying that. I did grow up on an audio farm. (laughs) That's a lie. That's a lie. My dad was big in audio. As a matter of fact, our TVs were never big, but the audio systems were insane. And that has to do with more a cabinet that my dad got for free that he just completely maintained the size of the television, So, which is totally ridiculous. It was a free cabinet my dad got from, it's a weird long story, but his father was a lawyer and his father had taken possession of this storage unit because of a client not being able to pay and my dad took the uh, furniture. And one of the pieces of furniture was uh, this hideous lacquer black cabinet that looked like it was straight out of like a uh, 1970s, 1980s cocaine den. And he needed to uh, fit a TV in there. So we had these tiny TVs with this amazing sound. Anyway, so I grew up on a sound farm. (laughs) And then I went into high-end audio as a profession. I sold home theater equipment at the good guys, not the okay guys. And uh, so I'm kind of a little bit obsessed with it. 
And of course, when I went into video editing, doing movies and my own projects, audio became a big thing. Whenever we do a project, no matter how expensive the camera gear, in the early 2000s, there would always be audio problems. So I'm a bit of an audiophile, you may say. Don't say it to my face, but it could be said. So I heard the bird episode, which I thought was funny, and I thought, no matter what happens, you go back on these episodes, you go, Jed, hey, remember that one you did with the birds? Ha, ha, ha. And yes, we will all have a good laugh then. But I said, it's time to get yourself a microphone of extreme quality. And that is the microphone you're hearing right now. The microphone you're hearing right now, because I know this is why you listen to a show about psychiatry. Yes, if I pronounce it that way, then I am legally a doctor. It is a sure microphone. Sure. Is he telling the truth? Sure he is. It's the name of the microphone, and it is a replica microphone of the one that Elvis used, but it's got this beautiful blue velvet in the background. Very expensive, very fancy, and I have to keep my lips about mm, less than an inch away from the mic, and I have to have a pop filter. So, not sure I'm going to keep it, but very fancy. And that, again, is that about you guys? Do I want to make this about you and say, that is because I'm committed to the audio quality that you hear how to... Blah, blah. I guess it doesn't help with how I say words, but uh, it is because I'm committed to the audio quality that my audience demands. That is not the case. I'm committed to what most of us are, which is the hunting and gathering. Yeah, I'm a man. I'm a man. And I like to hunt and gather just like my father likes to hunt and gather. And what I mean by that is we go on Amazon and we hunt down a bargain and we gather it. So unfortunately, a lot of that hunting instinct that the modern man has is to find the best deal. And what I do by doing that is that first I find out as much as I possibly can about the technology and I pretend like it's actually useful. But what it is is a distraction from the things I must do in my life to progress myself in the direction of what I believe this human unit, this Earth astronaut skin I am in, is built to do on this planet, and that is not search Amazon. So, maybe search the Amazon. I got this microphone, and I don't know if I've had buyer's remorse, but I've definitely been thinking about it too much. To wash my brain of that, and this was not the real intention of what I did next, but it ended up happening. After that last bird episode, I was in what I call the cat house, which is actually like an Airbnb house on this property, and it's called the cat house because Gina's sister, when she comes from, I think she lives in Washington or Oregon, I know that those states are the hat on California, when she comes here, she stays in it, her name is Katrina, her nickname is Cat, so that's why I call it the hat house. It's not because it's a whorehouse, don't worry about that, or I'm sorry to disappoint you. Okay. Little Jetty Arbuckle made a deal with you guys last time, just like he did when he decided to first do stand-up. I, being he, said I was getting into script writing, screenplay writing. I wasn't taking it seriously enough. But I think it was the last episode of the episode before I told you I was actually getting into this story. And the working title is called Rise. And uh, I said to you guys, by December 10th, I would have 120 pages in this script. And I thought when I said that, and I even mentioned it to you, oh my God, I know putting it out there is a good thing, but Jet, I actually said 110 to 120 because I was trying to, you know, that's a feature script length. And uh, I wanted to side on the, you know, cautious side, Ugh, words. So that's another point I'll make in a second about the words and how screenwriting does not help me there. 
So did I hit that number? Now remember, it's only like the 20th of November. And I have a long time because I said December 10th. So that was going to be a month from then. I hit 126 pages as of that Friday. No, Saturday. I blew by it. I'm at like 143. The script isn't done, but it's gone far further than I ever thought. And it is writing itself. My plot sequences are coming together perfectly. Storylines that I've written maybe 20, 40 pages ago that I didn't know what the character's purpose was in that scene at the time tie in perfectly in the third act. And I don't know that I've ever done anything with such unbelievable precision without intention. I just keep writing. It keeps coming to me. I'll figure out script problems when I'm running, and, and then it just seems together. Even Gina's like, oh my God, this is incredible. It's been an unbelievable adventure. It's been the fulfillment of an entire life story in the sense that I'm able to put in these scripts and I'm not going to stop. After this one, it's another one, another one, another one until these hands, mouth, and whatever. <laughs> this body is done because I am limitless in this arena. I can keep going and going. And I've been studying in the field too. I've been listening to stuff by Aaron Sorkin and uh, other screenwriters. Aaron Sorkin did A Few Good Men, um, The West Wing. But what's funny about that is not only that I've taken to it like a duck to water. Remember last time I differentiated between a duck to water and a water off a duck's back. Different things. Not only has that occurred, but doing it decreases my ability to think in language verbally. So I told you before that dyslexics, when decoding words, when they learn language written or verbal reading, especially in spelling, we don't use the analytical side of our brain. We use the creative side of our brain. So I see words as pictures. I look at the word bed or hat. The only words I know are three-letter words, so bear with me. Bear, don't know how to spell that. I see it as an image. If you change the font, if you change the context, if you put it in a light I've never seen before, I'm not sounding it out. I don't understand that. I see it as a picture. So at this point, I'm actually able to type pretty darn fast. Most of the stuff you're writing in scripts is not complex words because it's converse. <laughs> I can't say conversation. Oh, mama mia. It's a conversation, so it doesn't need to be very complex. Okay. We got through that. When I am writing and I go on these tears, 20 pages, and then I keep going, it is difficult for me to transition back into the verbal arena. Isn't that funny? Mr. Verbal Hi Ninja over here, Jet Dunlap, has a hard time going from uh, written to words. You wouldn't guess it, but it's true. So that is a little bit why I haven't done the podcast as much, and that's a little bit why I sound... A little bit off my game, if you will. Now, let me get into a lesson that came out of this writing. It's a discipline, right? At first, like any discipline, and I promise you, I will not say the word weight loss, okay? At first, it is tough. Now, this went way quicker for me because I believe this is something I was supposed to do for a long time. So, it, the curve on how long it took me for it to feel like something that was just a part of my routine was quick. 
And as a matter of fact, I take this script everywhere. I'll be writing it in the house. I wrote it when I was sitting in the waiting room at my uh, therapy, uh, whatever. What do you call those? <laughs> the name of the show, dude, same thing. My therapy session. Was session the word you were looking for, dude? Okay. I've got the best words. Um, so I can't stop. I love it. I'm that obsessed with it. It's like when I first got into distance running. And I'm still working out and I'm still doing everything else. Here is where the test came in. And is it a test? You know, you really can look at life as a series of tests, like I said before, and you are overcoming them. But that feels like you're setting your life up for more of that, right? So I don't know what it was, but it happened. I'm on it. Sorry, I missed that. Did you hear that? Surrey just went on. That's spooky. That really did just freak me out. I mean, I'm in this basement. It's very early in the morning. And by that, I mean, it's 9.53. And Suri just started talking to me. And the first thing she said is, I mind. <laughs> okay, back to what I was saying. I don't want to really define it for you because each of us have a very different experience. But I am a little impressed with how quickly writing became a part of my life and how much it is a thing like running in my life that it becomes addictive, you know, water cooler sense of the word addictive. So I'm writing all the time, even though I thought, oh my God, if I could write 110 pages, wouldn't that be something? Now, how many scripts have I started in my life? Oh my God, countless. We're talking even all the way back to my days in radio, television, and film when I did it recreationally in junior college. So the beginning of the 2000s, which is funny because that was also a time where I started to step into stand-up comedy, but didn't do it. I practiced some routines. I did some pages in a script. I just kind of dipped my toe in these things and then decided that the process to get good enough for me to be interested wasn't worth it. Like most of us, when we pick up a guitar and go, hey, have you ever seen what this instrument is capable of doing? I have seen people play this guitar and oh my God, what an incredible tool it is. But just like a hammer in the hand of a carpenter, a violin in the arms of Yo-Yo Ma, these tools can do amazing things when they are held by the people who have committed a life to it. Well, I didn't want to put in that kind of time when I was a kid, and that's not surprising. Most of us are that way. Some of us are better. So I start doing it, and it's, it's like shaking off the cobwebs. Remember, I've been writing almost every night since I was 13 years old as a kid, and I repeat this all the time, but it still shocks me, and I'm hoping it will knock something loose in your head that you go, oh my God. I've been doing this every single day, doodling, something that you're not aware of that you would be so happy doing the rest of your life. Now, remember, just like you in the gym, just like you in anything else, I thought, I don't have any time in my day. I'm working as an actor right now. I'm working as a producer. I have tons of things I'm doing, including my gym schedule, which is necessary for the fields I'm trying to go into. Anyway, I'm busy. I'm like, there's no way I can do this. I spent probably two to three hours a day on this script, okay? So even though I was busy, when you have something you want to do, you'll find the time. And that's awesome because it kind of bends that idea of what you thought was possible once you have desire behind it. And I go on this whirlwind of writing on Saturday night, okay? I went to Gina's spin class early in the morning. Then I can't remember exactly what we did, but we were very busy that day. And uh, then Gina had to go do an open house. So I said, I'm going to get into this writing. And I just started writing, even while she was still home. And I go for three hours and 30 minutes. Now, the next day, Gina had this incredible gig where she is a model for a Lexus 
I think it's uh, 350L. And uh, we had to be up the next day at like, my God, like 4 or 3 a.m. or No, 3 a.m. So I know I have to be up early the next day. And I say, this is perfect. Gina's left the house at like 6. I go on a tear. And uh, I'm using the program Celtic. I always put Celtics, <laughs> like the Boston Celtics. Anyway, that's a screenwriting program I have. And earlier that week on like Wednesday, I paid for the premium version thinking it was better. $99. Okay. So I'm writing that night and I'm go. I mean, I have, it's in the zone stuff, right? I'm summing up not only plot points, but I'm explaining unexplained things that happened in my life through this story. So some weird, bizarre stuff happened when Gina and I were camping this last summer where this giant bright, just flashing light occurred from when we left like Red Rock area all the way up to when we're in Bishop. We're talking hundreds of miles and this light is still flashing and it's illuminating the entire desert in a way that is impossible. Now that experience in my life is in a book and I just, I just keep putting these unexplained things in my life into this book and they just come out of me. It's amazing. It's incredible. I mean, <laughs> all the things that I thought were punishment, all the things that I thought was torture, the, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. Well, guess what? Being a jack of all trades sure helps when you're writing for six different characters, right? So all of a sudden, everything that was a criticism of me as a young person, all my experiential things I did, I don't want to do a career my whole life. I want to be a wedding DJ. I want to be an MC. I want to be a you know personal trainer. I want to be an audience warm-up. All these things that have nothing to do with each other. I want to be a high-end audio salesperson. You know, all these things finally come together because I can write through all these minds. It's just like this validation of purpose. Like in a movie where you see this person, especially the old M. Night Shyamalan movies, where you see this person going through this arc and then all of a sudden, Signs is a perfect example of it, everything had a purpose, even though at the time it just seemed like punishment, even losing my mind. That's going to be wrapped up in one of the characters. I don't know if I'll reveal that in the actual dialogue, but it's a part of where I'm writing from. Just like Stephen King and alcoholism, it's a theme of almost every single one of his books. I'm on fire. I'm in the zone, whatever you want to call it. I, I just, I can't be touched. My hands are moving faster than I can even think. And everything's just pouring out of me. It is incredible. I've heard of this. I've touched on this before, but nothing like this has happened to me before. Not to this extreme. So, I still have too much energy, so I go for a run, a late night run, a run. I don't know if it, no, it's not that late, but it's dark because now it's dark early. You know how time works? And uh, I'm not thrilled about that, by the way. So I go for a run. I come back and I go on my computer and it's gone. 27 pages are gone. I mean, I look at the history app on the writing program. It's not there. I look at the browser it's not there. Now, the computer had reset. That was deliberate. But I have used this program for free, a version of it for free, for five years. Never has it not auto-saved. It auto-saved the entire time. As a matter of fact, before I left for this run, I pressed save. And I have the screenshot of that because I took a picture of what page I was on to show my wife and my brother. It's gone. The 27 pages that I just did, this session that could not be repeated, it was all flow state, is gone. And so I look and I start to have that, like, I don't know, it's theatrical again. I don't know if this has actually happened to you where it's disbelief. I go, I'm not getting something. I'm missing something. There's, some, there's something that's not in my purview that doesn't make sense. I don't understand how this could have happened. This doesn't make, I start panicking. 
Now, not, you know, I not like in a movie, I'm panicking internally. I'm not like freaking out and throwing dishes. That would have been awesome. Not for Gina, but still. And I'm telling Gina this, and I'm, I just, when does this happen? I'm sure more than I'd like to believe, but I look online. I look everywhere. It's not in my computer history either. It shows on my computer. Think about how spooky this is. It shows, and my uh, MacBook Air is new. It's like two or three months old. It shows on my computer that I hadn't worked on my computer since 11 a.m. that day. I had been working on my script alone from about 5.30 till about 9, thereabouts, probably including the run. So it was about three hours. I'm not good at math, <laughs> but you're good at time, aren't you? Take a second, Jet. Seven, eight, nine. Okay, yeah, so that's the right That's the right time. Okay. I'm not, you don't have to be good at math to count three numbers up from six, you dunder. Whew. Anyway, so uh, it's gone. I go outside and I lay down. I have my laptop on my toolbox and I stare up at the sky and I'm just freaking out. And when I freak out, and I'm definitely not going to go into this because it takes too much. When I start to believe that my reality isn't real, I have what psychiatrists describe as PTSD because I actually did lose my mind and lose time um, a number of years ago, as those of you who listen know, and uh, I had delirium and dementia. So when I start to think that my reality isn't real, my brain starts to retreat into believing I'm actually still in the hospital that I was put in, and so I really start to freak out. I mean, PTSD stuff. But I think about my audience. I think about my purpose. I think about how this story needs to be told. Now, normally I would have thrown the laptop across the room, snapped it over my leg, danced around, and jumped into the hills, at least in my mind. I knew I couldn't. I knew the story needed to be told, and I made promises to my audience. I mean, that's it. I want to keep putting more words in there, but that's what it was. You guys really helped me. Because how would that story have gone if I said, then I broke my laptop, and that's why I'm talking to you today on a Fisher-Price laptop. Probably not possible, but you get my point. I laid there and I go, okay. I was supposed to do behind the scenes photography for Gina's shoot the next day. And I said, Gina, I can't go because I was still being a bitter little princess. I can't go because I need to focus on this. It was too late. I knew this was going to take me till late and I knew I had to be up at 3 a.m. Then I come back and I'm like, Gina, I will go on the shoot tomorrow. But she'd already told the producer I wasn't. She changed that anyway. I went into this room. My everything hurt. I had run hard. My hips hurt. I went into this room and I said, you're going to rewrite this. I sat down and I looked at the page and it was even more pages that were missing. It said I was on like 106, but it wasn't. Those were a bunch of blank pages for some reason. So I actually had to go back and remember this was already disheartening enough. I had to go back to page like 100. And so I had this mountain of content. And then I, I told my wife, I've never done this before in my life, but it was pretty cool. I said, I cannot talk to anyone. People text me. I'm like, I cannot text to anyone. So I went in the room, I put on noise canceling headphones. I played classical music in my ears and I typed. I typed so much that my hips started to hurt. I had to stand up. I was using one hand at one time. I put the uh, laptop up on the bookshelf because I couldn't stand sitting anymore. My bones were killing me. Gina tried to come in to give me food twice. I'm like, please get out. I mean, I just went into one of those like artistic temperament moments where I just had to get it out of me. I was typing like the wind. And if this had happened to me in high school and stuff like this did happen to me in high school because computers sucked back then and I had a very limited understanding of them, I'd lose something. I just wouldn't do it. I'd be like, well, hell with it. That's the universe telling me not to do it. Now, I could have also, or God, I could have also taken this as saying, hey, the universe doesn't want you to write. Can you imagine that? Two ways of looking at this. Either 
Jet, your purpose is not writing, and I completely dismiss what just happened, which happens. We can do that. That's easy. But I said, no, this story needs to be told, and I did it. <laughs> I can't believe I did it, but I did it. And do I have to tell you it was better? It was way better. I was able to look at what I had written before, and now since I was writing from the beginning of a story that took 27 pages backwards, I could start peppering in more of the hints in that place. Now I'm up to 145 pages. And so I did it. And then the next day I went on the photo shoot and I couldn't believe it. And it really, I mean, does it make sense to you guys that I did it for you and me? Is that because I was accountable to an audience or a group of people that was bigger than myself that I don't even know that I had to do the right thing, I had to do the hard thing, and aren't those often the same? I couldn't just quit as much as I wanted to, as much as I just wanted to feel justified in my anger, I have permission to quit, which is a lot of what we do. We give ourselves these beautiful reasons why something didn't happen. And everyone would have agreed with me, at least publicly, about why I quit. They would have been like, yeah, Chet, that makes sense. And I could have said too, because I'm so good at writing narrative, which is funny, because that means I should stick with scripts, but I could write narrative in my own life and say, well, this is just a sign to just stick with podcasting or just stick with comedy. Forget the fact that this is the most rewarding thing I've ever felt. Forget that that feels like all of that culminated into this art that takes a little bit from podcasting, a little bit from stand-up, a little bit from all these things you've done in your life from when you were a kid, your earliest memories. Forget that it comes from all of that. Just throw it out the window and use everything that is a reason to do it to be a reason not to do it. But I didn't. <laughs> and even as I say it to you guys right now, I can't believe it. Because that drama in my life, that desire for drama in my life would have been so happy to just shut it down. There's a lot more redundant stuff I could say about this. Like misery loves company. I could talk on and on about how you actually end up getting a lot more sympathy and cooperation from the people in your life if you do not succeed beyond what they believe you to be. But what good would that do you? I want to leave you with how I left you, which was, I could have quit. I had so many reasons to quit. And then I didn't. In my next episode, I'll talk about Gina's photo shoot with a major auto manufacturer. I can't say, I guess I can say luxury car, but. Uh, so that'll be next week. This one, the script episode. Thank you again for being the power behind my motivation not to quit. And unfortunately for both of us, I am out of those good old fashioned words. Thank you for listening. I'm Jet Dunlap. This was Psychotherapy. I'll talk to you soon.